Hi, everybody. Jimmy here alongside Angela and Jules. And we are talking to people in the event business and how they got started telling war stories and talking about how bad all this coronavirus thing absolutely sucks. Today on this lovely Friday, and I guess it doesn't matter what day of the week I tell you it is because, hey, when this all gets edited and put on the web, it might be a Tuesday for all I know. Either way, we've got a friend of mine from South Lake Tahoe, California on the program today, Matt Johnson. Welcome to the Side Hustle, good sir. How's it going out there in Tahoe? Thanks, Jimmy. Um, up here in Tahoe, it's you know not too bad. Weather's great. And um, yeah, I just feel really lucky to be living where I live during you know all this craziness because you know, we have good access to the outdoors and, um, you know, it's, it's been okay. It's been all right up here. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we're not actually going to get you to tell any stories. We're here to sell you a, a timeshare that Angela and Jules are trying to offload out in the greater Eureka Arcata area. Would you like to buy into a timeshare, sir? Yeah, I love it up there, up, up there in Eureka. Okay, great. It's a good, it's a good corner of the world. That was, that was an easy sell. If I was really trying to sell it, Jules, we should have sold that. We could have actually offloaded some property right there. Um, before we dive into what you do in the event world and how you got started, I'm going to go sidebar here, and I'm going to throw a different question out to you that we haven't thrown out to any of our previous uh, attendees to the show. And this is a very serious question, Matt. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Have you watched Tiger King? Of course. I thought it was like a, yeah. I thought it was a requirement for quarantine. Well, I, I'm going to throw two people under the bus, but Angela and Jules, neither one of them have watched the Tiger King. So whenever I make my Tiger King jokes and references on these podcasts, neither one of them get it. Can you please help me out here and sell you, them on this? Make them watch Tiger King. I, I, I like. I thought the governor. It, it was a requirement. We all have to watch it. You guys both live in California. You got to get on it. I'll take the fine. I'll, I'll take the fine. Whatever. <laughs> I know that certain people have their, you know, own, you know, reasons for not watching it. So I understand that too. It's, it's not a fine. They actually send you to Vegas and you have to go clean the cages of Siegfried and Roy's tigers. <laughs> uh, back in the day, I used to work housekeeping in Vegas. So I, it can't be any worse than some of those rooms I cleaned. So yeah, I'm fine. I'll still take the penalty. Oh, then you're well-versed in picking up animal excrement, then, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that and more. <laughs> well, the best thing about all that is that that whole uh, Joe Exotic, his whole place up in Oklahoma, his ex-place, I should say, it's still up and running. The other guy, uh, weird swinger dude with his young wife, uh, run it now. And uh, <laughs> they opened back up about three weeks ago. And a lot of people from Texas drive up there to go to that place. And actually, Joe Exotic is right here in jail in the dallas fort worth metroplex he is over in tarrant county jail which is fort worth and uh poor joe ended up with the coronavirus uh and uh every now and then they read a letter uh from him from jail to uh one of the staff on our local uh sports talk station it's pretty entertaining here that is that's that's something else i didn't know he was your neighbor down there in dallas uh i didn't either i was literally hanging out uh mowing the lawn one day had the ear earphones in and they were talking about it and i was like oh he's really right down the road and they keep begging him to call in they're like joe you can call us collect but he has yet to call into my local sports talk station so i don't know maybe today's the day i'll have to tune in here once we get done recording this definitely check that out 
All right, enough about Tigers. I just had to go sidebar there because that was fresh on my mind. And, well, I just think it's hilarious that Jules and Angela refuse to watch that. I mean, I tell you, girls, if you end up deciding to do it, it's a pretty darn good time. Crack a bottle of wine. You'll enjoy it. It is, it is worth it. It's definitely entertaining, and it'll blow your mind every episode. It might change your opinion about uh, the quality of Walmart meats or ever <laughs> eating pizza uh, out again, but that remains to be seen. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that my interactions with you, we've been working together for a while now. Uh, I see you behind the scenes, both working on live event projects as well as television stuff. So I, I'm well-versed in your legacy in the industry here, but for those of uh, the folks out there that are listening that don't know about you, give us give us a little 411, the brief synopsis on you and who you are and what you do in the production industry. Yeah, well, um, I'm a freelancer. Um, and primarily, I'd say I do live event production, um, which goes by many names. Um, live event production, sports presentation. Um, but I'm a venue producer primarily, so basically what that entails is if you're at a Mavericks game, um, you're sitting in your seat, basically every, everything you see and hear um, in the arena is what we're producing. So the music, the lights, uh, the kiss cam, flex cam, the half court contest shots during halftime. Um, we're the team that basically um, moves that along throughout the show. So that's, one part of what I do on the live event side. And then on the broadcast side, um, I do a couple different things, but um, for the echo entertainment guys, I'm primarily an associate producer and for the uncle toads media group, um, I'm an assistant director. So basically it's kind of hard to explain it, but um, I'm helping the director select shots or keep track of an athlete. Um, a lot of counting and yelling. Um, but yeah, those are the two different sides that I primarily work on. But basically, I'll do anything um, from field producing. Um, you know, if there's a job out there, I'm not scared to do it. So, um, but those are the two different sides that I work on live event and live broadcast. So, going back to the uh, NBA tie in sports, uh, a lot of people may not realize this, but when you go to a sporting event like an NBA, NHL game, Major League Baseball, NFL, whatever, uh, all those different promotions, and when there's a timeout, the stuff that ends up on the on the video screen, and all those different promotions that go on during any sort of intermission or halftime and whatnot, there's a lot of moving parts to that. Everything from the music that's playing to the in-house sponsorship announcements to any sort of things that involve the mascot, and whatnot, especially at the NBA level, because there's so many different timeouts and so many different stoppages of play. And it's like, you got to rush all this stuff out there and then rush it back off when play gets back underway. And then like the timing, the one thing to me that's pretty crazy, both at NBA and NHL level, it's like the timing of the music because you have to fade that out when play resumes. And I mean, you guys are really under the gun trying to coordinate all that in a timely manner. Yeah. And you know, that's something that I love about doing these production jobs is being under the gun. Like I absolutely thrive under pressure and yeah, timing is everything with what we do because you basically need to match up with what TV is doing and make sure you don't step on, you know, what TV is covering or what they're doing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, especially like you said, like sponsor tie-ins, um, all the graphics that we put up inside the arena on the ribbon boards, 
everything that's on the, the main screen. Um, but yeah, it all comes down to seconds. So what we work with is, you know, a rundown, you know, basically a script of what's going to happen from when the doors open to when the doors close. And then everything in between, like you said, timeouts you might just be doing stuff on the fly. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of calculation in your head, you know, figuring out how long certain pieces are going to take. Um, and we're all in headsets communicating with each other. So, you know, if you have an interview going during a timeout, um, you know, sometimes you need to sit, just get people to wrap it up because TV is coming back and get back into, you know, into the game. So um, that's what I, that's really what I love about working live events is that everything's always changing and you just have to adapt um, and basically figure it out very quickly and on the fly. And um, yeah, it's, it's almost like a game to me, like doing that job. It's kind of like playing chess, uh, but with a lot of pretty pictures and people yelling in your ear, you mentioned the pressure. Uh, some people don't like that type of environment at all. And when you've got, and let's face it, sometimes you get into these, situations where there's a lot of people shouting around you not necessarily shouting at you but it's a very fast-paced quick thinking environment and you just have a lot of loud voices and a lot of shouting going on i've seen some people absolutely see that the first time and just freeze and melt down and then other people just overlook it and just keep going and you mentioned that you thrive on that entire type of environment did you dive right into the mix your first time out of the gate with that or did it take a little bit of an adjustment for you to get used to uh, definitely took a little bit of adjustment. Like, you know, I got my start in production, I guess, back in Vancouver at the Olympics 2010. And I was a production coordinator. So I got a taste of like how everything worked and operated on like kind of a lower level and then worked my way up. And when I first started, you know, producing the shows, you know, I think the first one I did was the Burton US Open. Not sure what year. And then Street League in Barcelona was my first like really big gig and I'm not scared to admit that I was super nervous, you know, cause you're driving the ship, you know? So, Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty nervous with both of those. And once I did, so Barcelona was a two day show. And, um, once I got that first, you got to say, it, like belt, the you gotta say it with the list, you got Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, we, gotta I, be authentic here. We, have, we have an international viewing audience, right? No, no. Hey, thanks for the correction. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, when I first, when I did that first day, that first show in Barcelona and got done, I was like super pumped and I was like, all right, I can do this. Like I'm into it. And that's kind of when things took off for me in that position of being a venue producer, um, continuing, continuing on with street league. I, I still work with those guys. It's been, I think nine or 10 years with street league. Um, and then doing jobs at the Olympics in Rio and South Korea. Um, I know Jules from Race of Champions. That's a, a cool motorsports event that she and I have worked on. Man, I don't know, for five different events. So, yeah, it's and it's cool, too, because something else that I love about doing these live show jobs is that, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into it you do these shows, it's, it's high pressure and you wrap these shows up and then you're done. Like, it's not like an ongoing project that you're revisiting. It's this one show that you did, it's done. 
and you walk away from it and you know it's just like you can kind of feel the pressure melt away from your shoulders almost so um it's that's something that that i love about it you know you you can walk away from it it's done and you don't revisit it so um yeah yeah it's it's uh it's an interesting world we work in i'll, I'll tell you that one thing in particular you mentioned scripted earlier and uh, i guess for all intents and purposes here uh, you call it a timeline uh or a or an outline if you will and you come up with the script of what you're going to do at a sporting event and it's kind of a it's a loose interpretation and once you get that you never know what's going to happen at a live sporting event you know how many timeouts there's going to be you don't know if there's going to be some sort of an injury hold in the game there's a lot of different variables there so you've got this idea and just it, it's really amazing to me how you get a group of people that will look at this and it's sort of like it's not the word it's not the word of law so to speak like sometimes you just got to throw that thing completely out the window and operate on the fly but then other times you can kind of come back to things and kind of use it as a loose sort of a guide to kind of get you where you need to go uh throughout all this and, and again going back to what i said earlier i've seen some people look at that and be like okay i kind of I get what you're wanting to do here. And I remember for me, the first time I ever did do anything like that, the TV realm, I was like, all right, so that's exactly what we're going to do. And then I realized five minutes into it, like we are nowhere near what we talked about. And we are literally <laughs> making this up as we go along. And it's, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to. It definitely does. And again, when I first started out, I used to use my rundowns and try and like stick to them to a T. But it's like you said, you quick quickly find out that, you know, you got to, just think on the fly sometimes and uh, get creative. And, you know, we have those rundowns and we try to follow them, but sometimes they totally go out the window, like you said, and it's just doing this timing in your head of what do I have in my back pocket? What are some segments or elements that we can roll interviews that your field producers pitching to you that out in the field or um, anything to fill time that's entertaining to the people that are in attendance. Um, it's, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to rip this off straight from Christy Nicolay because she's ingrained it in my head for so many years, but as a venue producer, our job is basically to entertain, educate, engage, and inform, right? So, you know, you have your announcers, you have your DJ, and that's our job is, is to make sure it's fun. It's a fun environment. People know what's going on. Um, and yeah, just making sure that something's happening that's engaging for, for those people that are in attendance. I remember my first foray and all that. I was uh, working for GT Bicycles and we were doing NBA halftime shows. And my first one out of the gate was Houston Rockets versus the Chicago Bulls. And this is back in the early 90s when it was the superpower with uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and all those guys. And they were winning NBA championships. And this was a Sunday afternoon NBC game. And I thought, all right, cool. We're just going to go out there. We got a five minute show. And I'm thinking it's just going to be casual. I had no idea about all the production that goes on behind the scenes. I'm thinking like, cool, we're going to roll this ramp out there. We got five minutes to do our thing. So timeout happens. Refs come off. Visiting team comes off, which was the Bulls. We roll all the stuff out there. We get it all set up. Guy hands me a microphone, start talking. I look up at the clock on the Jumbotron at one point, and I see that there's a little bit of time left. I'm thinking like, surely that's how long we've been going, not how long we've got left. And I see this guy rolling his hands at me, and I thought he was ready for the backflip. And I'm thinking, no, not ready. That's the last trick. I got plenty of time. And I didn't realize they're telling me, hey, wrap it up. The players are coming back out. So I was like, 
oh crap, and this guy's trying to take the microphone away from me. So that I, I got a crash course in it real quick. And literally this guy comes up like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. So we're trying to snap all this stuff and roll it out of there before Michael Jordan comes back out on the court because we can't be rolling this ramp through the tunnel while MJ is coming out. So that that was my first realization to how much goes on and how that all ties in together from the guy running the jumbotron. Excuse me, the video wall. You can't say that. That's that's branded. Um, uh, you know, all just all the different things that work. And that that was so like I got yelled at backstage. They were like, "What are you doing? We told you that you well, this was the signal." And I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." So it, it, that was I was trial by fire, if you will. Yeah, and and you know we we're doing our show TV is covering the game or the event. And then you have sports and comp side of it. You know, they're, they're trying to keep everything buttoned up for sports and competition. So it's all, you're, we're all working together to, to do our own thing, but at the same time, we're all working on the same thing. So um, a lot of times for venue production, we're following what TV is doing because that's, you know, they're kind of ruling the whole, the whole show, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it can get funny sometimes when things start crossing over or whatever, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, there's so many different times where that's happened to me where, you know, TV's coming back from commercial or whatever, we got to get back into, you know, competition where we got to pull an interview off or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it all comes down to seconds and timing yeah sometimes and even a lot of times people don't realize that you also have the technical aspect sometimes the technical stuff breaks down and you may not hear someone calling to you hey wrap it up someone's mic or you know it could be user error sometimes they're trying to tell you hey wrap it up wrap it up and the mics they didn't unmute their microphone there's a, <laughs> there's there's a lot of things that are going on there sometimes it's not just it's not just that someone's not paying attention. Sometimes there's technical failure. Sometimes it's user error. So you've got to try to, you've got to find that balance, but you also have to have a very thick skin because sometimes you're going to get yelled at and you're going to get scolded a little bit and you got to let that bounce off of you and keep on going. So the broadcast continues. No, big time. And you know, one time we were in Rio, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil for street league. Uh, it's probably a couple of years ago, but um, during finals, there was a pretty gnarly, you know, bail. Uh, there's blood out there on the course. So it's obviously going to take some time to clean everything up and get, every, get everything set up. So I've got broadcast in my ear saying, you know, what's going on? When, when can we go? When can we go? Because these guys had flights back to the States, you know, at midnight. So they're trying to get off air and catch their flights. Um, meanwhile, inside the arena, for some reason, people started, fans in the stands started like passing out. So I'm dealing with all this in the arena and TV's like, come on, we got to go. We got to go. But we couldn't move forward because there's all these elements that are happening inside the arena that just kept delaying, delaying, delaying. But um, yeah, that was one, one time that things went off the, off the rails pretty quick. Uh, another time in Rio, again, in Brazil during the Olympics in 2016, we didn't have the best infrastructure <laughs> at my venue and um we're doing like national anthems and stuff like this for for the teams and uh we just lost all our power all power went out and tv the one thing we still had was our our comms our intercom with tv tv's yelling at me what's going on what's going on what's going on 
and like we lost, we lost power. There's nothing we could do. We can't play these anthems right now. And that's an instance where something cool came out of that catastrophe where it was an Irish team where I was working a field hockey venue. Um, the Irish team, they realized that, you know, it was time for their anthem to play and it wasn't playing and they actually sung their anthem. So, um, you know, like you, Things go wrong, but you got to just make the best out of it sometimes. And most of the time, people behind the scenes can see things going sideways or whatever. But the general public, in most cases, probably don't even notice that, you know, you're, you're patching this thing together and just making it work. So, um, again, yeah, it's just thinking on your toes and getting creative sometimes when you're, you're in a live show situation. So let's rewind things. Let's go back to high school age, Matt Johnson. What, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was this the, uh, was this the plan all along or did this kind of come along as sort of a curveball in the path of your life? Or, uh, did this kind of just happen unexpectedly? Back in high school, I had no idea any of this existed, you know, and to be truthful in high school, I wasn't the best student. <laughs> so you know, back then, I'm not really sure what I had in mind or what I wanted to do. Um, I probably figured that out in college. Um, I went to Champlain College up in Burlington, Vermont. And snowboarding since, you know, I was like 15, 14 years old has been my life. Like, that's basically what I've based my whole life around is snowboarding. It's my thing. It's uh, I just love it. Um, still do. That's why I live up here in Tahoe. But, uh, you know, in college years, I got an internship with Burton Snowboards, which was a dream come true for me. Um, had some great mentors that I worked for at Burton. I worked in the PR department and the marketing in the marketing office. Um, so I did that. And that's when I got my first glimpse of a real event was the Burton U.S. Open in Stratton, Vermont. Legendary snowboarding event. I think it would be every pro snowboarder's favorite event every year um and you know we we go down to stratton and i'm working for the pr department so we're setting up the press office and you know it's just like you see all these people with walkie talkies and running around putting out fires and i was like all right this is what i want to do like once i got a taste of that event working an event i was like okay like somehow some way i got to get involved in in this world. So that was my first taste. And, you know, after I graduated high school, Burton, they hired me on um, full time, um, which again, was my dream job. But I very quickly figured out that, um, you know, working a nine to five at a desk, which is, it, that wasn't for me. So what I thought was my dream job, I just, it just wasn't for me being in an office. Um, so I quit. I moved to Utah to be a snowboard bum. And then that's when I got involved with um, a woman named Maria McNulty. She got me involved with the Sundance Film Festival, HBO Comedy Festival in Aspen. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of allowed me to branch out from sports, I guess you could say, um, and see these other, you know, big events and how they, they operated. Um, and then from there, I, I <clears throat> got involved with the TTR, Ticket to Ride World Snowboard Tour, 
and that's when I started traveling all over the world um, to all these different snowboard events. Um, and that's when I got a taste of the travel life and just haven't stopped since really. Uh, it's probably been, it was probably about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, doing the world snowboard tour job, um, I got asked to go to the Vancouver 2010 winter Olympics. And that's where things really kicked in on the production side. Cause for the world snowboard tour, I was doing PR work, marketing work, um, still heavily involved in, in events, but in a different capacity. And then Vancouver, when I was a production coordinator, um, at Cyprus. So it was all the freestyle events, snowboard events. Um, and it was insane because the weather was just not cooperating. So we were like really in the trenches. And that's when I met Brad J, um, Naka, um, and, you know, all these other production people. And me, Brad J, uh, Pat Sweeney, <clears throat> Naka, we all lived in the same house for like a month together. So um, that was when I really kind of got a glimpse of what goes into doing these venue production jobs and it just kind of took off from there for me. So um, that's, that's kind of the, the short history of uh, how I got involved in all this, I guess you could say. You know, that's one of the things in my experience that kind of uh, separates the wheat from the chaff, if you will. Uh, once you get out and you start doing this kind of stuff, you get that travel bug. You start to get the taste of that a little bit. You're living out of a bag. You're going away for, you know, a couple of days here at a time. Maybe it's three, four day weekends and it starts turning into some week long gigs. Maybe you got a couple of back to backers. You don't really get to unpack that bag and you start thinking like, OK, you either love it or you're like, OK, this is getting a little taxing. But then you start getting into some situations where you're gone for a month or more and you're stuck in a situation where like you were talking about with Pat Sweeney and uh, uh, Naka and Brad, where you guys are in a house together for a month and not that, you know, it, it's great, but for some people, you know, they're just not cut out for that and they, they don't have that adaptability. And that's when you start to see some people kind of like realize like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. And then other people thrive on that. And that's kind of like, that's kind of the catalyst that sends them that to that next level. We're like, you know what? I want to make this my life. Yeah. And I love it, man. I still do. And last year, 2019, that's why this quarantine thing has been a little bit tough for, for me is last year was my biggest travel year ever. Like for how many miles did you fly? 160,000. 160? 160. Yeah. So wow. for anyone that is into frequent flyer stuff or whatever, like that's a lot, man. <laughs> like I've never, I've never done that much. Sorry. What airline? What's your what's your network that you stick with? Oh, uh, um, One World American. Okay, so what's what's the status at 160k? What do you what level are you at at, at that point? Executive Platinum, and then like once you hit 150,000, they give you like a little gift or whatever. But um, I'll tell you what: once you get that Executive Platinum status, they they definitely look after you for sure. But it's like you said, living well, in the house with. I it. Sorry. I said, I miss it. I was there for six years and then yeah. I got bounced back to steerage and platinum. Yikes. That, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, it's a transition, but I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm glad you're dealing with it. You know, I had to but, go yeah. therapy. <laughs> like being on the road that much, like I still love it. I, you know, there was one year I kind of got burnt out and 
was like, what am I doing? Whatever, whatever. But which happens. I mean, everyone goes through it. We all go through it at some point where you just have a rough time and you're just kind of reexamining the th- the situation, but you always come back to realizing that this is my lifeblood. This is what I do. Yeah. And, and getting back to like living with guys like Brad and Naka and Pat or whatever, we had so much fun in Vancouver. And like, that's the thing about production is like some of my best friends are people we work with, you know, like, yeah, it's like a traveling family, you know, and and that's what I, not only do I love like what I actually physically do at work, but it's all these people that I've met all over the world that have become friends, you know, like all these amazing announcers, producers, everybody, like, that's how me and Jules met was doing these race of champions events. <laughs> the first time I met Jules is in Barbados and I'll never forget. She had like some flight troubles or whatever. And like, there's just so much you could even talk about on this one event in Barbados. Cause like they were still building all this stuff We had this weird open air, like picnic table office that we were working out of. And <laughs> Tess is like, yeah, Angela's flight's delayed, whatever, whatever. So it was like perfect timing because I was outside of whatever office Jules need to get into. And like, I just remember her coming to the venue, storming into an office, you know, sunglasses and a black umbrella. And I was like, who is that? Like, like you came in hot, Jules. And, um, I can see it. I'm visualizing this as you're telling me this right now. I've seen this face. Yeah. And, you know, like, (laughs) I guess I've known Jules, I don't know, for six years. And we only work one event together a year. And I usually see Jules at X Games. um, And it's just always good to catch up because, you know, like, I I don't know what it is about production people. But I don't know. It's just easy to connect with, you know our people, you know? So yeah, it's, it's not only the job for me, it's, it's definitely a lot about, you know, the people we get to work with. Yeah. Saying Jules's flight is delayed is like saying the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I mean, she always seems to have problems because Eureka Arcata is a tiny, tiny airport and they can't, how often do they cancel your flights going out of Eureka Arcata or trying to go home? It's a, it's a regional flight out of a tiny airport and she has to go to San Francisco. So what what would you say your percentage is, Jules, of canceled flights trying to go home or get out of home? I would say 90% that they get canceled. There you go. 90%. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I was delayed a whole day, Matt. So I came straight from the airport, flew in with my luggage, and then I was supposed to be out on the, the course. So I was trying to get my my radio and and your umbrella the umbrella just sticks out in my head i don't know why but it was so hot and sunny down there you definitely need an umbrella out on the track there was no coverage so that's (laughs) what gave me yeah i remember i remember being out on the track one day and i didn't have a hat for some reason i always have a hat and i was just sweating i went in the control room and tess looked at me and he's like dude here take my hat cover up bro (laughs) like that Barbados one was that was a trip. Poor Jules in those flights. I swear to you. We had one time we had an X Fighters in South Africa and we stayed an extra week and went on safari and came back. 
and we left the airport the same time in Johannesburg. Actually, she left an hour before me, I think. Uh, and I had flown Johannesburg to London. I had a four and a half hour layover in London and then my 10 hour flight from London home. And I was already home, gone through customs and had gone home and spent a half a day at home. And Jules was still stuck in San Francisco trying to get back to Eureka Arcade. And she took off an hour before me. Yikes. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't think you got home that day. I think it took another day and a half for you to actually get back to your house, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, that one was ridiculous. Like, yeah, we could. It do was a like Johannesburg that. to JFK, JFK to SFO, SFO to Eureka Arcata, but then that one was just sort of a giant question mark that just loomed for another thirty-six hours. Always, always a nightmare. Wasn't Barbados? Wasn't Barbados the race where you got run over too? Uh, no, I that got hit by the in race car in Miami. Okay, it was close. Matt was there too. Oh man, oh like that happened, and then we wrapped the event. And I don't know how you even finished it, Jules, but we were having a drink and taking a picture, like a crew picture. And I just tapped Jules on the shoulder, the one that she hurt, and I felt so bad about it. But yeah, Race of Champions has always been a something special has always popped up on those events. So let's talk about the Olympics a little bit. This one I'm wildly curious about because this is one uh, event-wise that I don't have any experience with uh, working at. And when you, a lot of people don't realize this. They're like, oh, it's cool. You know, you're going to work the Olympics, but they don't realize that you're there for a long, long time. And usually when you go and you work the Olympics, the caveat is that you have to stick around because the Special Olympics are right afterwards and you usually end up working that too. What's, what's the general time that you end up putting in going into work in Olympics, be it summer or winter? You know, a lot of people go longer than, than me, um, but as a venue producer, we, we usually go for like a month and a half. Some venue producers go for like three or four months. I think I was in Rio for about a month and a half. South Korea was about a month and a half. Um, and yeah, you're there for quite a long time. And the, the thing is, you know, we bring, they bring us as kind of quote unquote experts in venue production or whatever. And we're working with locals that may or may not have any experience doing this job. So um, in Rio, we had a pretty good crew, but you got to train up a lot of people to understand what we're actually doing. Um, in South Korea, I, I loved I loved doing South Korea. It was super fun. The people were awesome. But my crew, you know, I, I think I got to South Korea late because we had X Games and then I flew straight to um, to Korea. And my crew was kind of waiting for me. You know, they didn't know what they were doing, whatever, whatever. And these guys, awesome crew, super smart, um, but they just didn't know what the roles were. Like, what does a field producer do? Or uh, what does a, an associate producer do? Like, what are we doing? So, and a lot, a, lot, a lot of people didn't speak English. So I had to run these workshops with translators and train people on what their positions were. And that's that's part of it, I would say, is that's that we do so much rehearsing before we go live. And um, I think that's that's what I would say takes so much time is getting there and introducing people to what venue production or live event production actually is. So um, 
we we just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until everybody's on board and um things are pretty seamless and then you know we're ready to go because um yeah that you have high level ioc people that are watching your job and um they they really want certain things done a certain way uh there's a lot of protocol i guess you could say that you have to abide by and um meetings on meetings about meetings <laughs> so um yeah it's 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 but they're they're really fun because you spend so much time together as a crew uh living together eating together working together that you really develop these cool relationships with um with people in these different countries all over the world and uh yeah again coming back to the people it's 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 really cool to like kind of leave a little bit of a legacy and um after you leave the olympics um it's you know these moments that i'll never forget yeah it definitely ties into that whole family slash brotherhood vibe that you were talking about earlier which i i mean whether it's olympics or any of these other events that we've all worked on over the years that was kind of the catalyst one of the main points behind this whole project starting was that you know once we all got stuck being at home and it was unfamiliar territory for a lot of us this was this was angela's brainchild she was like hey you know what i miss you guys what if we just kind of threw this whole thing together and we got some people together and started telling some stories and kind of didn't really have i guess angela had a vision and then i i completely misunderstood what that vision was during a text message one night and then it just sort of evolved into this hey let's just get together and let's just tell stories and let's just narrate and kind of try to describe to people what our life is like and 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 but basically angela you can correct me if i'm wrong on this that basically how this was born was literally like missing your work family for lack of a better term right Ange? the biggest thing i miss i don't I really, when it comes down to it, it's it's not about the actual event production or any of that um, that I missed. I realized that I just miss getting a chance to have, and even if it's like a five-minute conversation with Jimmy at X Games or something like that, because that's what happens. You know, you're everybody's kind of head down doing whatever they need to do in a limited amount of time. But so when you do see someone, you know, and you stop and you talk to them on the venue, even if it's, or you sit with them at catering, it's the best experience. And I think cause you know, for us being on such a tight schedule and time frame, we just don't have time for bullshit. And the majority of the people, we just, we don't bullshit. We just get to the heart of it. And, you know, we we're we're real with one another. And I think that's why we all get along pretty well because, you know, we have thick skin and, you know, we love to, and you got to laugh at what we do because pretty much we've seen it all. And, you know, it's just like, you, it, it's the best of times that we share with one another, I think, even in the worst of times when just shit goes wrong. And that's what I miss the most is just all those interactions. Um, I could kind of care less about the actual like event itself, but I just miss everybody I work with. So that's, that's really where all of this came from. Well, it's really well put. I feel like you just nailed it. Like I said earlier, I don't know what it is about production people, but I think you just got to the heart of it and what you just said right there, you know, there, there's no bullshit, (laughs) you know, so very well put. Thank you. I rehearsed. 
<laughs> she has three by five note cards. Um, yeah, you know what you brought up about catering? It's funny, like X Games, for example, is like, you know, everyone's running around. We're all doing different jobs. And it's just like, you know, you get to sit down and you get to hang out and talk shop and just kind of catch up over seven minutes while you're wolfing down a mediocre meatloaf and <laughs> or whatever mystery meat they're presenting you for lunch or dinner that day. And then you're kind of like, OK, cool. Got to go. And everyone just kind of goes their separate ways. And then you just regroup. And then when the event's over, there's usually some sort of soiree after party shindig type kind of thing. Or maybe it's just a team dinner where you all end up in the same place, having a couple of adult beverages and laughing about some of the hilarity or in many cases, adversity that you had to endure uh, over the course of however many days you were on whatever project, which is kind of a good segue into my next point is weather. You touched on this earlier. Um, I deal mainly with a lot of summertime stuff. So you deal with obviously, you know, wind, rain, that kind of stuff, thunderstorms, but winter events, which you have a lot of experience in Matt, that's a whole different ball of wax when you're dealing with mother nature on winter events. Yeah, it is. I mean, working in the mountains can be pretty unpredictable. I honestly don't have any crazy weather stories other than, None? Not really, man. Like, I've been pretty lucky. It's other than getting, like, events just getting canceled or postponed or whatever. Like, one thing I can throw in is, again, Burton US Open. It's one of my favorite events. I've been working it for, like, 15, 16 years or whatever. And Burton's such a cool company. And, you know, they just want everybody to have fun. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate if it dumps two feet of snow or three feet of snow and they have to cancel the event or postpone it or whatever. But the thing with the the open, the Burton US Open, is that they're like, all right, can't do the event. Everybody go riding. So it's like and they they encourage you to just go have fun on the mountain. Like the event's not happening. And you know, we're not operations people that are dealing with, you know, keeping the venue safe or uh, maintaining it for the next day or whatever. So, you know, we just get to go ride with our friends at that one. But, man, I, other than uh, South Korea with, you know, some crazy wind events and a lot of drama that happened, um, I've been pretty fortunate with all the winter events that I've done, actually. That's a pretty good track record. I've I've been stuck in a few. I, for, but my first time ever with the U.S. Open, uh, I got a call from a good friend of ours uh, by the name of Brett Taylor, who ironically we're going to do a recording with on Monday. Uh, Brett was hired out to do uh, to lead the banner crew. Uh, I think this was 2007, maybe. And I was like, oh, cool. We'll go snowboarding. So I signed up and flew to Vermont, having no idea what that actually meant to be on banner crew, not realizing that you're on the mountain at five o'clock in the morning, freezing to death and trying to hang on this Coroplast signing. And, uh, it, that was my first interaction with all that because prior to that it had just been going and announcing and whatnot like okay it's kind of cold in the booth how bad could it be and i was like holy crap i did not prepare for this yeah in vermont that's that's like we, we would get ice storms <laughs> like, oh we had a wind and ice storm this weekend and literally one side of that mountain turned into a giant hockey rink it was insane oh yeah yeah vermont is its own little world up there man and, uh, and it was nuts because I had to learn how to snowboard all over again because I had never gotten off of a chairlift 
Like, I mean, on snowboard, no problem when you're going riding, but all of a sudden I'm going up a chairlift and I've got armfuls of crap that I've got to hold on to, like these wooden cutouts and I've got this giant drill bit in my hand and things that could jab into the snow and stab you in the face if you lose your balance and fall off the chairlift. And I was like, okay, well, that's a, this is a completely different animal and one that I'm not used to. No, dude, operations on those winter events, you got to give those crews so, so much credit and I, I don't know how they do it man and you know, I, I, I had not... a whole newfound respect for that crew after by day seven of that I was like man anyone that works these winter events I have a whole new level of respect for you guys oh big time big time and you know I've, I've da- like I've done a couple of ops jobs one was um for Cat Leonidas at the Jazz Aspen Music Festival and actually doing the like she had me on signage crew and i actually really enjoyed it because i'm usually you know stuck in a booth you know doing our thing but um yeah just to be out in you know out in the world of the event and working and busting your ass uh it's good honest work that's for sure that is the truth on the television side of that too i mean I I also got to give props to the guys that have to run all the cables and everything to make the cameras and the microphones and, you know, all of the visual and audio equipment run. I mean, that's a daunting task as well, because now, I mean, you don't just go out there and just run that stuff. You're digging trenches and you're not just, oh, shovel some snow and I'll bury the stuff. I mean, half the time you're digging this stuff out of solid ice. And then once you get it buried and you get it all run, then you got to worry about it actually working. And if it doesn't, you got to go figure out where it's not working, go dig all that stuff back up. It gets sopped and wet and then trying to pull all your cables and all your audiovisual equipment out after it's been frozen in for an entire week or however long you're there. Uh, that's, you know, hats off to those guys too, because that is, if, you know, if you're not behind the scenes watching that go down, whether it's set up or tear down, I mean, that's, that is a whole process in itself. Oh, big time. And you got to wonder how many miles of cable is run for an event like Winter X, you know, all the trenching they do and all the cameras and all the locations, you know, that would be a cool stat to figure out how many miles of cable that they, those guys run. Yeah, that, that would be insane. I mean, just from the production trailer compound in the back parking lot alone there to the inn at Aspen to running that stuff up to the tower at the base of the pipe. Wow. I want to, you know what? I'm going to hit up Vince from X Games Research and see if they've got any old stats on that after we get off of this call and see if I can dredge up some of those numbers for you. Vince would be the guy that would know that for sure. Those guys are machines with that stuff and they have all sorts of crazy information. So if anybody would have that knowledge from a past event, it would be Vince Castellanos. Best researchers, dude. Best research crew. Love those guys. Speaking of X Games, uh, let's talk about that a little bit here. Um, so in that role, you're working uh, in the television production side of things. And this is kind of funny to me. And who knows, maybe somebody else will find this entertaining. Maybe you'll get a chuckle out of this. Um, I interact with you a lot at that event, both summer and winter. And uh, a lot of times when people are watching those events and they're listening to it, and they don't realize like, okay, there's some scripted things. There's, they call them promo cards that uh, <laughs> your announcers have to read. And that's not just X Games. That's any sporting event that you've ever watched on television. Sometimes you've got to read promo cards, whether it's something promoting an upcoming television show on that network, another sporting event, whatever the case may be, whether it's a sponsored element that's part of that paying the bills for that event you've got scripted stuff 
And there's someone that has to write that copy. Someone has to make sure that that copy represents the brand that's paying for this whole thing and it's verbiage specific. And then that someone has to pass that off to someone else, in this case, you, which has to make sure that it gets to the television talent and that they know when they're supposed to read it and in what order. Yep. That's part of my job at X and I'm handing you cards all the time. Yep. It's, it's entertaining to me because sometimes I, it just depends on the event that you're working on. Sometimes they're just sitting there and you're left to your own devices to figure it out. Other times you've got a person sitting there that hands them to you about 30 seconds before you're supposed to read them. I, I'm more on the hands-on side of the experience. I like to hold on to those things because sometimes they get lost. Sometimes they get shuffled. And I've had way too many experiences in the past where um, someone's like, hey, card number five, and then someone's shuffling for it and they can't find it. We're like, where'd card five go? Like, oh man, am I going to have to make this thing up? So I just hang on to them. But uh, <laughs> have you ever had a situation where someone has written the wrong thing on the wrong card that has actually made it go out on air? I'm just wildly curious. Yeah. I think that's happened at least once. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, you know, where the error came in to play, whether someone wrote the wrong card. Well, they're passing through a lot of hands. Grab the wrong like card. It's not like it writes them to the person that's reading it. It's like uh, the old Ron Burgundy um, situation. <laughs> but I don't know. Have you I'm ever, Ron Burgundy? Have you ever read? A wrong, the wrong card or the wrong copy? Uh, so I had heard stories my first year of TV with those promo cards. I had heard stories and I was terrified of reading a card improperly uh, or reading the wrong card at the wrong time. So I had a couple of close calls where I was given the wrong card yep. uh, or they couldn't find the card leading up to it. And then I got it in the nick of time. So then I just got into this process early on. Uh, I had some really good teachers on the ESPN side of things. And I was taught early on that you always proofread your cards when you're sitting in the production meeting. And then it's always a good idea to proofread them again once you get in the booth. Just, to, I mean, you know, double check, triple check, why not? Uh, another thing that I learned early on was if you're referencing another sport, especially a sport that you're not familiar with or you don't know some of the other athletes, uh, look at the names and get the exact pronunciation because sometimes those things will throw you for a loop. Uh, or sometimes the cards are just written uh, weird, you know, and if they're typed or sometimes they're handwritten, especially if it's on the fly and it's a last minute change. Sometimes those cards just get written weird and there's something on there. And if you're looking at that card and your brain's doing a million different things when you're in that booth and you've got someone talking in your ear and you're doing a live show, all of a sudden you get this card and it's real. I mean, I see where it happens. I mean, the Ron Burgundy thing, we joke around about it, but it's a real thing. It, it, it doesn't take much to just completely lose yourself in the moment and just read a card verbatim. And I've seen it happen. So I always try to read those things up front. That's why I always joke around with you about it. <laughs> Whenever you run the cards, and especially when you run them in last minute when there's changes during a broadcast. Written, you know it's last minute. But yeah, no, you and Brando do a bang-up job of reading those cards in the meetings and being like, wait, 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 what's this? How do you, or whatever, you know, or even in the booth, just making sure that you can wrap your head around what the promo actually is or um, – well, that it, understanding is the key because if the card doesn't make sense and then you read this thing in the middle of what you're doing and it doesn't make sense to you, you can try to sell that all you want, but it's coming through to the viewer that you don't know what in the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and especially like with X Games, you know, in summer, you're doing a lot of baseball tonight promos and whatnot. And some of those baseball player names will really, really, really throw you for a loop. So, I, you know, I always like to 
dive into those. And if I don't know, then I'll go ask somebody or I'll try to at least Google it to get a Google it, proper yeah. <laughs> pronunciation. I, cause, you know, I mean, you're reading those things on the fly and sometimes they're super wordy and, you know, and you're in the, if you're in the middle of a race, it's no big deal because you've got time to insert that. But if you're in the middle of a live action thing, like, you know, BMX park, you know, or, or skate park, you know, you don't have a lot of time to try to insert a 45 second NASCAR or baseball promo. It's a tough one. Yeah. Sometimes they can be a little bit long winded for a live X games broadcast for sure. Oh yeah. One of my favorite pieces of audio and our local sports talk station here on the radio runs this all the time. Uh, I think it was Dick Stockton on, uh, on an NFL broadcast on Fox. He was, he was reading a promo card and it was talking about what was coming up at the halftime show and what was going to happen later on in the broadcast day for the afternoon games. And then the last, the last statement on the card was apparently in parentheses and it said, for last item, read lower third. And that was supposed to be a direction to him to just look at the graphic on the screen. But instead, he read the card verbatim. With the parentheses. And it, and it went yeah. out there. Reference lower third. And they, 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 yeah, they play that all the time on the radio here. And I laugh. But at the same time, I, I, I feel sorry for the dude because I'm like, hey, I've been there, man. I get it. Well, yeah, you of all people, for sure. For sure. But I just I find myself watching NFL games sometimes or NHL games, and my friends are like, well, what was that? I'm like, well, hold on. This is probably what happened. Uh, but I, I don't know. You, why I bring that up is like the relationship that you develop in that, why I kind of went down this path is like it's a trust thing. And going back to the family thing that we were talking about earlier, it's like we joke around about it, and sometimes they'll make faces at you when you come in. But I know in the middle of a broadcast when you stick your head in that trailer, whatever you're handing me, I, I know – that I, I need it. I know it's important. And I know that I can trust what's on that card just because of the, you know, the communication that we've had in the past and the working relationship that we've had in the past. And just, you know, not just with you, but everyone else, you know, for X games on the echo side of things that, you know, whoever wrote that card or, you know, I know that what's that set in front of me, I don't have to look at it right that second. I can finish my thought because somebody's going to be in my ear in a matter of seconds and tell me, Hey, Matt just brought you card number three C and this is where this is going to go. So it, you know, that, that's part of that whole family is that trust. You don't panic, you know, in certain situations and other events, maybe you'll see someone come through that door and it's a face you don't recognize. You're like, uh-oh, what's this? Yeah, and it's... But it, it's it gets to that level of relaxation where I kind of joke around with you about it while we're in the middle of a broadcast. <laughs> and it's a reason why I love working with, like, the Echo guys, you know, the Uncle Toads guys. It's everyone has everyone's back. You know, we're all in it together. Exactly. I know that that's a phrase that's being overused right now. We're all in it together, but that's the truth of it. You know, we travel together, we work together, everyone's looking out for each other. And it's really that family vibe that, you know, crews like echo fosters, like uncle toads fosters. And, um, you know, it's just, I keep circling back to, you know, the people and like, it's, it's been a wild ride over the past 10 years traveling around the world with all these different people, you included. And um, yeah, it's always been a pleasure working with you, Jimmy. It's uh, it's, it's always been fun. You know, I, I gotta say too, uh, we were talking earlier about how sometimes these events, they get a little crazy and there's shouting and you get a little heated, not necessarily at someone per se, but just in the heat of the moment, especially in a live television broadcast that you've never been in a production truck before. Uh, and you ever get the opportunity for anyone listening, it's an experience and a half, and it'll make you appreciate a live sports broadcast 10 times more. So if you ever get the opportunity to do that, I encourage you to take that opportunity. 
Because a it's lot good. of things when you watch sports and TV will make a hell of a lot more sense. But you've got, you know, different personalities in there and people just have different methods of getting points across in the heat of the moment. And you're one of those dudes that no matter how bad, how deep into the trenches we get, uh, you're always you're always even keeled. You're never like you never go to the spinal tap 11. You're always at a five, no matter if it's going good or if it's falling apart. You're just you're just super mellow. And then every now and then, if it gets really bad, I can just look over to my right. And there you are. We're both just laughing or you'll write me something funny on a piece of paper. And we just kind of <laughs> laugh and kind of keep going. And it's just one of those things where it's like I've dealt with some shouters over the years or people that panic a little bit. And it kind of throws you off and you get that little uh, like you almost had a little too much coffee. Yep. And then other people, it's a, it's a slow roll. No matter how bad it gets, it's like you're just going to kick your feet up and laugh. Go, you know what? Show's still got to go on. So keep calm and carry on. No, so yeah. I, for you've, sure. always, you've been one of my favorites. Your attitude's always – you know what you're getting every time with Matt Johnson. <laughs> well, I greatly appreciate that, Jimmy. And it's, and it's something that I learned um, early on when I first started actually producing, venue producing, again, from Christy, from Christy Nicolay. Um, I think it was a Burton U.S. Open, and I yelled over I, – I yelled at, at somebody about something. Um, not that it was like a nasty yeah. yell or whatever. Yelled at them or yelled to them? What's that? Yelled at them or yelled to them? Like you were just getting your point across like, hey, I need this, or were you like yelling at them like, hey, you didn't do this? No, it wasn't a blame thing. It was just trying to get my point okay. across. But even, even that, like gotcha. the way – that I, I raise my voice or whatever, because everyone has headsets on and you don't need to yell. There's really no reason for it. But after we finished the show, she, Christy was like, okay, good job. But, you know, there's really no need to, to yell. You know, we all have headsets on. Everyone can hear you fine. And if people hear like an alarm in your voice or whatever, you're just going to rattle everybody and throw everybody off. And, you know, you might lose trust or whatever. And it's not that I was like gnarly about it. It was just, you know, raising your voice or whatever. And I really took that to heart. And, you know, I haven't really ever done that since. And this is like eight, nine years ago or whatever. In a TV truck, it's different because you have so many people in such a small space. And, you know, it's you have these crucial moments where a graphic could go up or a better shot could be taken or whatever. So I feel like in a TV truck, it's more common, but even so, like I still, I'm not a yeller, you know, and, you know, different producers have different styles and um, you know, people might see me as a little bit more laid back as a producer or whatever, but um, yeah, that's just, I want to foster like a collaborative, um, you know, just a collaborative team cool, calm, collected, and let's get through this. Um, and yeah, it's just, I feel like it's, it just doesn't help. Like when you're, you know, like here's the thing, right? And you know this from being a live venue announcer, things, m mistakes are made, you know, in a live environment. Like it's unavoidable. I, I feel like there is really no perfect show right you can have good shows you have bad shows but every show i feel like there's a mistake that's going to happen um and you know so sometimes you know things get just don't work out well or whatever and cat leonidas she's one of my field producers on street league the whole crew will tell you like all right 
All right, guys. Uh, well, we fucked that up. Let's move along. <laughs> Let's get to the next segment. Everything's going to be fine. And like I said before, most of the time, like, you know, production people behind the scenes would be like, ooh, that's a mistake. But the general public might just think it was funny or didn't notice or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, like when things go sideways, that I just try to let it roll off my back and just move forward and try and forget about it. And, you know, if it's a major mistake or whatever, just address it after you're wrapped, after the show's done. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do appreciate that, Jimmy. Thank you, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I mean, everyone's got a different style and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus when I say that. I'm just saying in general, like you've got some people that handle things differently and you just get used to everyone's style. Uh, and you're always you just always have this attitude like you're like, OK, I'm ready for anything like you. You're like, all right, whatever. All right. We got an entry timeout. Cool. Oh, wait, there's an earthquake. OK, cool. Oh, wait, there's a tornado <laughs> coming. All right. What do you got? Oh, wait, catering's canceled. All right, cool. Well, then who wants Doritos? It's just like whatever. Well, I'll throw it right back at you because as an announcer, and I, I feel like the only live event show that we've worked together, well, X Games, when I used to work for EP, for Sharon's crew, I did that for a couple couple years. And then uh, Dew Tour, the, the marathon Dew Tour that we worked together. And I would just love to be like, all right, Jimmy, we got to do this. And you're like, really? We need to do that? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> like you're just you're you're a you're a team player. You're a team player. I, you know, it's it's been a long run, and I've seen a lot in that time frame. And I was I I credit that to the people that I had in my camp teaching me and guiding me along the way early on uh, in all this. And I mean, there was a lot of names on that list, but I it was you know it was it was just sort of I was taught early on just to operate on the fly. I know, you know, part of that too, we going back to that NBA story that I told the first time I ever announced a halftime show for the bulls and the rockets. Well, I mean, yeah, it's only five minutes out there, but at the same time, that five minutes feels like an eternity when you're out there because you're managing that on an NBA floor with, you know, three other guys on BMX bikes in a very tight space. And it's like, you've got to get everything in, you got to get everything out and you've got to operate on the fly and you're dealing with a lot of stuff. And if you screw it up, you know, you're in a lot of trouble, especially if you scratch that floor, which is a giant no-no, which <laughs> happened a couple of times uh, in my first two years out of the seven or eight that I did that. Um, so, I, I, you know, those those were some good learning years early on, just learning how to operate on the fly and dealing with that. And, you know, I dealt with a lot of uptight people that would scream and yell and freak out, especially back in the days when the Bulls were the superpower um because we'd follow them around a lot because for a lot of those teams that weren't good that was their only sell out of the year so that was the only time we'd go do halftime for that team so we spent a lot of time on the road with chicago bulls so when you're in the tunnel and we're always on the visiting team side when they would come out i mean you had all these overzealous staff members that would freak out because they don't want you anywhere near michael jordan right you oh, yeah. can't get anywhere near so you know, the first couple of times you dealt with it, it was like it had you on edge. And then after a while, you're just like, eh, I'm not dealing with you assholes again. Like you just it becomes second nature and, and you just operate on the fly. But it was, you know, especially when you went to Chicago to go do halftime for them. We did a couple of years, you know, in the NBA finals doing halftime there. That was a whole process in itself, just trying to get in and out of that building alone, let alone trying to get a ramp out on their floor during an NBA finals. Forget it. So I got yelled at. I got pushed around physically, literally. Um, it, so th those were some formative learning years of just learning how to operate on the fly and not getting upset. Yeah. And, and I, I feel, 
major league sports maybe are a little bit different than the world that I work in being action sports. It's a little bit more relaxed, I guess you could say. So, um, uh, yes and no. I mean, I've, I've found that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very similar in many regards. I mean, especially nowadays with this stuff being on live television, I find it to be, I mean, obviously you don't have the hoop troop and all that other stuff rolling out there. You know, we don't have your traditional halftime when you're doing like a street league or a due tour or X games and whatnot. But as far as the television production side, I find it to be very, very similar on a, on a, on kind of the same scale in many ways. Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, it's going back to the, the crews that I get to work with, I guess, because like echo, you know, they, they have a pretty mellow vibe, I would say. And, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Love those guys. Been working with them for 20 years. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's just the, the, the crews you work with. I also feel like that kind of gnarliness is kind of old school, you know, and it's kind of like fading away a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of a new style or new attitude in a TV truck. I or, totally agree there. Yeah. So I feel like it's a new generation of, or a new generation of production style. Maybe you could call it. Um, of uh you know being a little bit more mellow and not throwing people under the bus so a couple of questions for you here um first one this is i know we've been telling stories this whole time but this is kind of your chance to uh dive deep into one tell us a story we like to do this with everybody that we get on the show here tell us a story about an event that stands out in your memory it could be any event from your career uh it could be a story of something that was funny it could be a story of something where situations kind of were adverse or something fell apart and yourself or your entire crew around you kind of rose to the occasion uh it could be something travel related that was super crazy just give a pick a story random from anywhere in your past of working in this industry that stands out in your mind well pressure's on yeah pressure is on but (laughs) For, for I know it's right hard to now, pick one. Well, it's it's hard to pick one, but I'll tell you what, one of the most memorable things ever that I was able to be a part of was actually the last gig that I worked um last week of February. And I've been saying this event a lot, but the Burton US Open. It was a really, really special event because Jake Burton Carpenter, he passed away um in November of twenty nineteen. So you know, it was, uh, we had to figure out a way to, you know, do a, a, a moment for Jake, right? So yeah. the Burton crew was really heavily involved in concepting this thing. And one thing that's unique about the Burton US Open is poachers. So I don't, I think they did it at Dutour this year for Jake as well, doing a poach. But um, basically poaching is like, there's a half pipe competition going on and some random just drops in and takes a run. That's a poach. So they wanted to use this poaching concept, you know, as a a moment for Jake and um, yeah, it's it's something that I'll never forget. I, I I really admired Jake and Burton, the company itself. It's where I got my start. And during half pipe finals, we rolled a really, really cool video of all these athletes, you know, like saying a few words to Jake. And after the video was done rolling, it was this 
insane mega poach of absolute snowboard legends um, from, you know, going back to the eighties, you know, all these absolute legends. And, you know, we did this moment and to watch it all unfold, it worked perfect. And I just think it's like something that'll go down, you know, in the history of snowboarding, you know, something that I'm super passionate about. And the whole crew that I was working with, Nelson Wormstead, DC, Henry Jackson, Cat Leonidas, um, you know, we all work together to make this happen. And it's just something that we did that I feel like it's one of the most special things that I was like a part of as a producer and to, to work with Burton to concept it and it worked perfect and all these photos that came out of it and whatever. It's like we worked as a team with the broadcast crew too. We <clears throat> were working with Rebel TV um, and their producer and director too. And it was just this mega team effort to create this moment that I think that'll just kind of um, go down the history books of snowboarding. You know, it's, uh, it's something that I feel like people will never forget. So I know it's not like, um, you know, a crazy emergency story or whatever, but um, yeah, it's just something that I'll always remember and stick out in my head as um, part of my career, I guess you could say. And also well, it's still the last gig that I worked. So I'm like, that's when everything. Kind of what exactly why I asked that question when we have people on here. We're not necessarily looking for something that's shock value or that, you know, it's going to be clickbait. I mean, we, these are the stories that we want to hear, these moments that stand out. And the way that you just described that, like, I mean, that was perfect. I mean, I, it was eloquent. I mean, it, I, if there was to be a highlight reel of your career, I could see that being like the, the opening montage of all that. And it's even more spectacular that, you know, or fitting for this situation in hand because it was the last thing that you worked on before our whole world got completely shut down. So yeah, gold star. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I expected you to come up with a zinger, but man, I didn't expect you to go for a Grammy winner right there, man. Academy <laughs> Award. Right there. Thanks, Jimmy. I mean, we could just stop recording right now. We've, <laughs> we've got that. Um, one thing that we've kind of asked a lot of people to uh, throughout all of this, and I know this is, Kind of a downer, but I I don't know. I like asking this question because everyone's got a different outlook on this. Uh, and it's just kind of cool to hear uh, people's stories coming through this. Uh, talk about how this is. I mean, I know how this has affected you. It's affected all of us in this industry pretty much the same way. But uh, what's your experience been like during the last two months? And what was it like leading up to the whole country basically shutting down? And yeah. How did you get the whole shelter in place situation? Yeah. Tell me it, what to do with your time. Well, I, I honestly, like being in Tahoe, it's been okay, you know, but it's been weird for me because um, I worked uh, the Luzon 2020 Youth Olympics in Switzerland back in January. We did a site visit for that event in December. So in December is when you know, this virus started to pop up in China and it's like, okay, it's nothing we really need to worry about. It's just in China. And then, you know, came home and then hit the road in January. I was on the road for like a month and a half. 
and you know it's the virus was kind of a topic of conversation once X Games came around, um, and yeah, Burton U.S. Open was my last trip. Got home on March first, and there were people that were sick at the Open, and it's before cases were you know being identified. I guess you could say in in this country, and apparently you know people at the Open that was kind of like a hot spot, apparently, but. So I got home on March 1st and being aware of this virus for the past couple of months, that's when I was like, okay, I've been flying through airports all over the world and whatever. And I got home and I kind of quietly <laughs> self-quarantined myself. It's not like I totally shut myself down, but I started being careful around Mar March 1st or whatever. But um, for the first like month, to be honest, like it wasn't really that bad. It was almost like a forced vacation. You know, I was, and I'm never home. Right. So like, it was like a staycation, you know, and <laughs> I, like I'm on the road so much here in Tahoe, I've got a three bedroom place and I have a roommate cause I'm gone so much. He's a super rad dude. And, you know, we have a ping pong table. We got darts, we got dominoes. We got cards. So for that first month, just making the best of it, you know, having some cocktails, whatever. And the, the, that's when we still had a bunch of snow here. So the weather wasn't great. So just making the best of it. And then I think after the, like, the first month is when it really started to kind of like sink in for me is like, man, like my life got turned off, <laughs> you know, like going to airports, getting on airplanes, going to, to the next job and, you know, hanging out with friends, like my fr friends on the road um, and all that got turned off, you know? So I feel like it took a month or so to actually for everything to really sink in. And that's where it, I kind of got a little bit bummed out and was missing everything or whatever, you know? So, but now it's like, okay, it is what it is. And the weather's nice up here. It's, fishing seasons open. So yeah, just trying to make the best of it. And, you know, thinking about like how good I actually have it to live up here in Tahoe, have a backyard and stuff like that. And thinking about other places that I've traveled, like to Rio or Sao Paulo or Lima, we were in Lima last year for the Pan American games. And in Lima, you know, we, we, stayed in a hotel right downtown in a cool part of the city but we would commute into a favela every day um to our venue like <laughs> legit favela like the first time we went i was like are you kidding me like where are we going and just thinking about like those communities around the world and what they're having to deal with right now and you know it kind of puts things into perspective or you know all right i gotta stay home i can't travel I'm, i miss my friends um and my job and whatever but in the grand scheme of things i'm doing a-okay you know so it could be worse for you know like i miss everything but yeah it could be much worse i guess that's kind of been my mantra through all this is it could be worse i'm fortunate enough i i rent a house here in dallas and uh we got a 
you know, a couple of spare rooms and a backyard. So I can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like to go through this, you know, cramped into a tiny apartment or to, you know, have a house full of people that you're stuck with a buddy of mine, him and his wife and their daughter and their five dogs. They were like, you should quarantine with us because we're worried about you being by yourself. I'm like, I'll be good. <laughs> I'll be just like, fine. Or even like, but we do. I know. Sorry. Angela's down in San Francisco. Okay. We were talking before we got on this call or this recording. Like even the big cities in in this country, I man. I couldn't be, I couldn't imagine trying to get through this in New York City or Chicago or wherever. So yeah, I feel like I'm pretty lucky. Story. I mean, there's a BMX rider by the name of Brian Kaczynski. Uh, I've known for years and used to work with him at X Games and he's in Chicago and he posts these clips on Facebook of, you know, people in downtown that are hanging out of their windows and they're, they're on their balconies and they're singing, you know, and they're playing guitar and whatnot. And that's, they're just, uh, you know, I saw some clips of that going on in Italy and other places like the video clips that you see of the drive-by birthday parades where people, you know, some kid in the neighborhood has a birthday and people in the neighborhood drive by and honk and wave or, you know, the drive-by graduations and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's been kind of cool just seeing the ways that people adapt to make things happen, to just get that human connection and make things special for, for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like humanity coming together just to do something good. It's it's restored my faith in humanity to some extent, and then other parts of that are just completely ruined forever. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me wonder how, you know, when things start to ramp back up, you know, how travel will be, how airports will be, airplanes, hotels. So, yeah, I feel like for us as production people, we've got kind of a long road ahead of us, and we're going to need to adapt uh, a lot, it seems like. Um, even like I read an article about live nation and they're saying, well, yeah, we're going to have to adapt new protocols, but these are going to be permanent installments. You know, they're not going to go away. So, um, well, that's a perfect segue into my next question. My next topic for you here is, uh, what this looks like on your end in the event world, moving forward, things that you might have on the calendar now that sort of the countries reopening uh in different levels depending on what part of the country that you're in uh here in the u.s um obviously there's different measures being taken in different countries but uh we were talking about this early on last couple of recordings angela and jules and myself that you know no one wants to be that guinea pig no one's really willing to take that step or who's going to be the one to take that first step i should say to you know put on their event and be the ones that kind of set the bar for how this looks i mean obviously the mainstream sports are putting timelines out there now on when they're going to get up and running without fans nascar's already done it thanks to angela turning me into a nascar fan i watched darlington last weekend um but they're doing it with no fans in the stadium but you know but now they're cramming a bunch of races together in these next couple of weeks major league baseball's got an idea uh the nhl's voting on a proposed 2014 playoff system do you have anything coming down the wire in the event world here in the future that you could potentially be working on that will sort of maybe open the floodgates so to speak to get things going in our world again i mean it's looking like september there could be some stuff that happens and I'm just going to refrain from mentioning the event just because. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't asking you to. Yeah. To, I'm not sure if it was public or whatever. Walk but, that plane. Yeah. But, I um, broad, broad strokes. 
and I've been trying to keep in touch with like, um, you know, like kind of leaders in our industry, I guess you could say, and get their opinion, take their temperature on, you know, when we can start again. I like you know? what you there. Take their temperature. <laughs> nice tie-in. Nice pandemic tie-in. Gold star. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like certain people are being optimistic about it in September, October things will start happening again. Um, and then you have people that are being conservative and saying it might be a year or more. So honestly, there's so many unknowns with this thing that um, I, I really don't know. Like, obviously I want to get back to work. Um, and I think even maybe there, there'll be some stuff happening this summer, but again, talking to one of my executive producers, it's like, when things do start happening, like, I think all of us are going to be really busy because, you know, all these sporting events that couldn't happen all summer or whatever. And once things open back up, I think we're going to be busy, you know, because I, I feel like certain events are and sports are going to be tripping over themselves to, like, get stuff done. And then also, you know, I was supposed to work Tokyo 2020 which they postponed a year, you have all these uh, events that are going to need to happen to, you know, allow athletes to qualify into the Olympics. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will start in the fall and hopeful that we'll be busy. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a tough thing to predict, I guess, because <clears throat> That's the thing is no fans. So are they still going to have event production teams there? You know, I don't know. Well, well I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but I, I'm, I'm fingers crossed, you know, September, I think hopefully we'll start doing some stuff. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that once, once it does happen that the floodgates will open. I mean, obviously people out there have been, hungry for sports during all this because especially with being stuck at home and not having anything to do people definitely miss sports but once the mainstream stuff comes back you know all the markets out there for all the stuff that we work on uh you know people people are ready for entertainment and i think most of them have already run the gamut of everything that they have on hulu and netflix and disney plus <laughs> and whatever yeah. else they could possibly come up with uh and who knows part, part of me wonders if this actually going to spark like a whole new market of fans at least on my side of things like in action sports people that are just like i've been so bored and i've watched all this other stuff that how many people out there are gonna be like okay cool maybe i'll watch the action sports now like and i'll use the analogy that i just threw out there with angela i've never i mean i've marginally paid attention to nascar you know over the years like i've done some nascar events where i've done shows out in the parking lot or in the pits and whatnot it's never been something that i've legitimately paid close attention to but I, I sat last weekend and i watched an entire race i literally sat here and watched an entire race and i've never done that it's not nor is it's boring it's just it's something that's never been high on my list of things to watch and i sat here and i watched an entire race so will i do it again probably i mean who knows maybe those, maybe you converted me angela <laughs> i think it's a that's a good point you know like people are, it might be I'm, all about turning left for a living <laughs> I think people are going to be looking for, for new stuff. And, um, you know, I think it's going to force us as an industry to get creative on how we do stuff. Right. Like, like, I'm not sure 
what'll come out of it, but I think we're going to hit obstacles that are going to force us to think about production in different ways. And you're, you know, even like with golf right now, like McElroy and Fowler did that charity uh, one-on-one last week or two weeks ago. And then this Sunday, Tiger Woods and Phil, Phil Mickelson are playing with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Um, so I think it's going to force people to get creative and, you know, think of different ways to entertain fans, you know, so it could be, uh, could be an interesting time. You know, yeah, what's I, cur- I, I think too, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, ahead. I think too, but you know, everybody's been watching Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is. And I think they've watched, you know, that, uh, last dance, the, the Michael Jordan doc, or if you watch, I just watch a great one. It's, um, the battered bastards of baseball. Um, And you watch something like that. And all it did was make me super hungry to watch live sports again. That's all I wanted was, you know, the announcers, the, those shots, the, just any of that live action. Um, You know, you can only watch so many documentaries or you know so much old footage and there's nothing like in the moment sports and so i think right now i think everyone's exhausted all of this you know these virtual events i think those are starting to get old and tiresome um and oversaturated and you know you've you've gone through everything you wanted to watch on you know your streaming service so i think now is really like a great moment and time to capture new fans in like NASCAR, something like that, you know, because it, it really is the only thing live that's going on or, you know, some of the soccer, European soccer leagues are playing. They're not playing to fans, but at least there's live games going on. So I think, um, and then for Jules, like Supercross is coming back. So I'm super excited to watch Supercross. Who <laughs> <laughs> was right. right um, 31st, right Jules? Rice Cycle Stadium in Salt Lake City? Yeah, the 31st, coming back, baby. Go, but no, Angela. It, it 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 is. It's it's an interesting time to, like you said, capture new fans. Even I found myself watching South Korean baseball because they're playing to no fans too. And it's just like, all right, you know, it's it's that in the moment thing. I think you 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 hit it on the head. Yeah, I'm pretty just... much at this point. I'm. I don't care if it's like live sports. I'll watch it. Like, a uh, bowling, great. I'm in. Sure, you know what I mean. It's like stuff I never would ever give like any kind of notice to. I. I that's what I'm kind of craving right now. Um. So you know, everything else is just kind of like I'm over pretty much everything else. So I'm looking for. I'm just looking for live sports, or at least that's me. So I, and I'm. I'm hopeful. You know, maybe that's that's uh you know we kind of our our event business gets uh you know we kind of follow the trends right i mean that that kind of spurs a lot of events for us and and some of it's traditional based but i think a lot of the stuff that we work on too is just you know where where the momentum is going so i'm hopeful if the you know if this is where the momentum is taking us to back to like live at, you know live sports events then i think we do have some opportunities um, you know, and I think too, like you, I don't think, it, I think it'll be a long while before we actually see fans in the stands. Um, but you know, I think the TV stuff is going to be strong. So, um, 
you know, content is key. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think I'm hopeful and I'm hoping like, you know, after summer and the fall and everything, we could start, you know, getting back to work and hanging out again. That would be great. Well, maybe yeah. we should start our own social distancing kickball league. How about that? <laughs> I would be so not only creating content, it's something that people could actually do. Yeah. I'm in. Yep, I'm in. <laughs> I'm there we go. Who are we gonna pitch this to? Good question. I'll, I'll come up a with a one. I'll come up with a one sheet this weekend and then I'll email it to you guys. How's that sound? Yeah, Perfect. I mean I think the sponsor list needs to be anti anybody that makes antibacterial anything, a toilet paper sponsor. Um, Amazon's obviously good. So, you know, those are the ones that have been making a sh- shit ton of money during quarantine. So that's, what I think we should target. Oh my God. Think about the whole TV production angle of that right there. Like if there's a good crash, when you're sliding into home plate, you could call it the, the wipeout brought to you by Charmin. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That is a good one. We could even turn this into a drinking thing and get like a beer sponsor. Like if once you kick the ball, if you're if you're on base, you have to chug a half of a beer out of a red solo cup before you can leave the base. Beer sponsor has got to be mandatory for kickball. Now we're coming up with ideas here. We're solving the world's problems one event at a time. See, it's forcing us all to get creative. We'd start a new racing league where we get people on little uh 50 cc motorcycles but they all have to wear inflatable t-rex costumes <laughs> love it love it i'd watch that i mean if cornhole's a legitimate sport anything can happen <laughs> <laughs> Very no anything could be a sport you're gonna watch people on tv throwing a beanbag around then i mean we've got hope <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking the Zoom Olympics. There's something we got to do with Zoom. Like, there's got to be a way to tap into that. That's a tough one because they're getting hacked and people are showing up with all sorts of inappropriate images that wind up on those things. And the hackers are loving that stuff. So we'd have to find a new platform. But that could be part of the game. See, like, we we don't have to create anything here. It's already being done. We just have to (laughs) judge it. It'd just be like a wild card thing, almost like that (laughs) weird card in Cards Against Humanity that everyone's hoping to get. It's like, whoa! like the daily double in jeopardy it just pops up out of the blue and throws everybody into a tailspin (laughs) uh i had another question but i completely spaced and forgot what it was uh it was gonna make another tiger king joke for the girls but they're still not gonna get that one either so never mind uh well i guess at this point in time uh and jules Anything you want to add, throw out there, ask for Mr. Johnson here before I get him to do the gratuitous plug and tell people where they can find him and what he's got coming up in the future? Um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. I, I've had that was some great storytelling. So thanks, Matt. I love having, uh, love having you on. And uh, no, it's gratuitous plug time. All right. This is your hard sell. Go. Me? Yeah. Tell us uh you got a website, uh a blog, anywhere people can see your handiwork on the interweb. Uh, I actually or see don't. Your schedule. Maybe that's something I can get uh, to work on to self-promote. Um 
No, I'm, I'll just say that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I work in venue production, broadcast. I'm not scared to do any job. I'd be a production assistant. I'd be a runner. Um, but no, you can find me at xmattjohnsonx at gmail.com. And um, yeah, I guess I'm just really hoping uh, that we ramp things up sometime soon and we can all get back to work and see our people. So um, yeah. Well, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is awesome. And I appreciate the compliments that you threw out earlier. And it was a pleasure having you on here today and learning your story. Well, thanks. Thanks to all you guys. Um, and yeah, appreciate the opportunity, Angelo, Jules, Jimmy. Uh, it was good to, good to catch up. Yeah. Thanks and uh, be expecting email from me on this kickball thing. I'm not joking. I'm writing up a one sheet on this tonight. I'll keep an eye out for it for sure. Maybe we can get the, uh, what was that South park? The guys from South park made that move basketball. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> Jay Parker, Matt stone. Maybe we can get these guys involved. They would be perfect. That'd be hilarious. It'd be perfect. 